Morning. My name's Mark. If you're visiting today, good to have you here. I'm one of the pastors here, and um, it's good to be back. I know a lot of us weren't able to get to church because of the weather, so we're back, and that's a good thing. And if you weren't here, we started a new series called Missing Christmas. People who missed the first Christmas and people who still miss Christmas today. Uh, When we talk about missing Christmas, though, really what we're talking about is missing Christ. And what John told, told us as we looked at the first chapter of John last week is from the very beginning, from the very first Christmas, people have been missing Christmas. In John chapter 1, verse 9 through 11, here's what he writes. Speaking of Christ, the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. They didn't get it. He came to that which was his own, his own people, but his own did not receive him. Then he goes on in verse 12 to talk about what it means to receive him. It means to believe on his name. So from the very beginning, John tells us that people have been missing Christmas. They've missed Christ. And it's a pretty amazing thing to think about. That arguably, the greatest event in all of human history was missed by the people who were right there where it happened, right there in Bethlehem. God becoming a man, and it happens in their backyard, and they didn't get it. They completely missed it. How'd they miss it? Well, we know what was going on in Bethlehem at the time. People were busy paying taxes. The Romans were busy collecting taxes. People were coming from afar to get back to their kind of family home here to register for the census that the emperor had decreed. There was all kinds of frenetic activity going on. There were family reunions as families were coming back, and they were distracted. You bet they were distracted as they looked at all the the Roman soldiers around and the people collecting taxes. There was a lot of distractions, and they missed it. Busyness around Christmas, the first Christmas. Man, that sounds very contemporary, doesn't it? And what have we been doing this weekend? Where are you going in the next few minutes, right? I mean, there's just stuff to do, all kinds of stuff to do. We got to get through that list and get the right presents, and then we got to wrap them, and we got to ship them, and we got to send those cards, and we've got to bake some cookies, and there's those parties, and there's those concerts, and Man, it's busy. And the lesson last week is, in the busyness of Christmas, it's possible to miss Christ. And so here we are celebrating Christmas, so to speak, and we miss Christ. I was at the UW store, bookstore yesterday, and I I was looking at their Christmas cards. And you got to start digging quite a while to find one that really has something to do with Christ. There's all kinds of books. There's all kinds of albums, and they may or may not be about Christ. And I guess that's true for us. In the busyness of Christmas, we may or may not be about celebrating Christ. So that was last week. Okay, that was Cliff Notes. Now we get into today. There's a whole other thing that we're going to look at that keeps us from celebrating Christ in Christmas, or another reason that we miss Christmas. So open your Bibles, Matthew chapter 2. You can find that on page 682. And let's look into what Matthew says here in his account of Christ's birth. Matthew 
For those of you visiting, if you don't have a Bible and you're here, just wondering, what, what is it all about? You know, these Bibles are here for you to take home. If that's something you're interested in seeking more about, who is this Jesus? Just take it with you at the end of our service. We'd be glad to give it to you. All right, chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw a star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, as an, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. He gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, Weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. We're going to look a lot at Herod the Great, King Herod, this morning as we look at another reason why we might miss Christ this Christmas. Herod the Great was born about 73 B.C., 37 B.C. He has made the king of Judea by the Roman Senate. He has a a pretty typical kind of ascent to power as you think of people scratching and clawing their way to the top. He came from a powerful family. He was part of the Herodian family. His dad was a leader before him. But he had a lot of political savviness. He used a lot of brute force and he had a lot of good luck. When Josephus writes his Epitaph, this is what he says about Herod the Great. A man he was of great barbarity toward all men equally, and a slave to his passions, but above the consideration of what was right. Yet he was favored by fortune as much as any man ever was, for from a private man he became a king, and though he were encompassed by ten thousand dangers, he got clear of them all and continued his life to a very old age. What history tells us is he carved out his political career 
by wielding a sword. And so brutal was he that he killed his own family members. And so Miriam, his wife, and her family are wiped out because they were a perceived threat to him. He kills his own two sons by Miriam. The guy is a maniac. He's paranoid. And yet he is the ultimate survivor. He loved power. He aspired greatness. Wherever you follow this man's track, he's always building a monument. He's always building something that will make his name great, like the temple in Jerusalem. Here's the man who's king over the land when Jesus is born in the back stable in Bethlehem, the king of kings. It's ruthless Herod the Great, hated by his own people. The people he ruled, hated by his own family. Now here's the teaching from Matthew 2. When you're puffed up with pride, you won't bow down and worship. You get the picture? When you're puffed up with pride, you won't bow down and worship. We, we talk about being puffed up. We, we say that person's got a what? A big head, right? We talk about they're puffed up. They're full of themselves. And when you're full of yourself, when you're puffed up with pride, the story of Matthew 2 is you won't bow down. You won't bow down and worship Christ. You'll miss Christmas. Pride will keep you from worshiping Christ. Now, on a scale of 1 to 10, where are you at on the pride continuum? 1 being completely humble, 10 being an egomaniac. Where did you put yourself? You don't have to say it out loud, thankfully. But where would you put yourself? Where would your friends put you? Where would your coworkers put you? Where would the members on your team put you? Where would your family? You want truth in advertising? On the humility meter? Go to your family. They'll give you the straight scoop. But I'll tell you who's got it perfectly right is God. Where would he put you? On the humility meter meter well when we look at Herod we see the anatomy of a proud heart and here's what we see there's a preoccupation with self everything's about himself everything's about me when pride has us there's underlining insecurity with this man he's easily threatened by others I think it's safe to say anybody near him that's breathing is a perceived threat to this guy he uses intimidation to get his way And hence it says in verse 3, did you note it? That he's disturbed, but when he's disturbed, what happens to Jerusalem? All of Jerusalem with him. Because you know the phrase, when mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy? Well, how it went in Jerusalem, when Herod's not happy, nobody's going to be happy. Because the guy's brutal, and who knows what he's going to do. Uses intimidation. He uses lies for his own advantage, to get ahead, to advance his cause. And so what's the lie? Verse 8. Go make a careful search for the child, and after you find him, come back and tell me so I can go and worship him too. And we know the story, and we laugh and go, yeah, right. And the men in his court went, yeah, right, Herod. That's what you're going to do. But apparently, the Magi took it at face value because God had to send an angel to get them straight. Don't go back to Herod. Go home another way. 
The last thing about his proud heart is extreme anger when things don't go his way. Verse 16 says, he was furious. You see, that's what happens when a person puffed up with pride thinks they're God and acts like they're God, and then all of a sudden they meet somebody in their life that doesn't know who they are. And we get ticked off that people don't know how great we are. So here's Herod, self-centered, insecure, an intimidator, a conniver, an angry man. Any of those words describe anybody here? (laughs) And the scriptures say out of the mouth of babes. We worked on that before the message. You know, it was about this point in my preparation where I thought, let's do another series. This is getting a little too personal. Let's call it Getting Christmas. People who got the first Christmas and people who get Christmas today and we'll all be happy together because all of a sudden I felt like this is completely different from the busyness deal of last week. You know, the busyness deal is kind of like our culture out there and and it's kind of something outside of me. It's these fast-moving tides and currents of culture and don't get sucked up into that. And now all of a sudden it's getting really close to home because it's hitting at my heart. And I'm going, well, I'm, I'm like that. I'm like that. Anybody else here like that? Proud Herod missed Christmas. I, I mean, he didn't just miss Christmas. He missed Christmas. So bad did he miss it that he tries to kill the very one who was born to die in his place. He missed it. And we do too when we're puffed up with pride. Here's what we know. is God won't let a person stay up on their high horse. He loves us too much. He is passionate for his own glory too much that he won't let that happen. God takes down the proud. Here's what the scriptures say. James chapter 5, James chapter 4, verse 6. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He's against the proud. God opposes proud Satan and he kicks him out of heaven. He opposes the proud people building the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11 and he takes it down as he confuses them and brings in the different languages. He's opposed to proud Pharaoh and he drives him to his knees to a point where he's begging Moses to take him out of Egypt. He's opposed to proud Nebuchadnezzar who looks over his vast kingdom and he says, man, look at all that I have done with my own hands. And the next thing we know about Nebuchadnezzar, he's grazing in his own courtyard like a wild ox. God took him down. And Matthew 2.19 says that God took down Herod too. It's kind of like a footnote in Matthew's account. Do you see it? Verse 19, after Herod died. It's not so much that he died, but it's how he dies. Josephus, again, telling us about how he died, is he died a miserable, despicable death, full of all kinds of diseases. He couldn't stop itching. His found no comfort, just itching all over. His intestines were distended. He was full of worms. 
He couldn't get his breath. He had to sit up to breathe. He was losing his mind, tried to commit suicide. And yet he was rational in his own brutish way enough to say, I understand this about my reign. Nobody will mourn the day I die. It'll be one big party like what happened when Saddam Hussein died. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to order a decree that on the day that I die, those that I've held here in prison are going to be murdered so that that will ensure that at least there will be some mourning when I die. God is opposed to the proud. He takes Herod out in a miserable death where he's eaten by worms, the most powerful man in the land. The Bible says, pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit goes before the what? The fall. Pride will take you down. Proverbs 29 says, a man's pride brings him low. And when Mary sang her song, giving glory to God, what she talks about is God doing this very thing. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Be sure of this. When we're puffed up with pride, we will not bow down and worship anyone but ourselves. Be sure of this that God is opposed to the proud. And so where does that leave us? It leaves all of us at a place where we need to deal with pride because pride is not somebody else's issue. It's all of our issues. You know, I really thought this message was going to be about power, the powerful. I thought it was about the powerful people who missed Christmas. And I realized as I was studying Matthew 2, the Magi were powerful men. They were men of influence. They were at the inner court, very likely of the Persian Empire or the Persian uh, of Persia, formerly the Persian Empire. Powerful men who did not miss Christmas. So I said, I realize it's not just about powerful, it's about pride. And power begets pride. So So does affluence, so does education, so does good looks, so does athletic ability. You see, these are the things that are part of our lives. And we're vulnerable to this. And if we find ourselves this morning going, you know what, I'm not where I'm supposed to be on this pride meter. And maybe I am missing Christ. Then here's what we're called to do. We're called to turn from that. It's what the Bible calls repent. It means a change of action, a change of attitude that leads to a change of action the attitude changes hey i'm not like god and so the change of action is i'm not going to act like i'm god i'm not going to just make it about me anymore so here's how we can be freed from a proud heart is we got to humble ourselves that's what the scriptures say don't ask god to humble you the scriptures teach us to humble ourselves first peter 5 All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. 
Humble yourself. Go down in humility that he might lift you up. And here's what we need to do. First of all, understand that we aren't God, that you aren't God. And stop acting like you are. You tell God what he already knows. I'm not God. That's why the Bible starts where it starts with God as creator. Just so we get it, that he created us. We didn't make him up. He created us out of nothing. And that means he has rightful say over our lives. See who God is. And when you get in chapter 2, you think at first reading, it, it doesn't say anything here about God. It's really about the Magi, and it's about Herod, and it's about, it's about Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. But it's all about God. And if you'd noticed it, four times in the text, well, three times that we read, and once in verse 23, there's either direct quotations from Old Testament prophecy or in verse 23, an allusion. And so you got the prophecy from Micah 5 too. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. Then you got the prophecy from Hosea 11.1 1, that he's going to be my son who's coming out of Egypt. And then in verse 18, there's a prophecy from Jeremiah that talks about these mothers who are weeping over their boys who were bludgeoned by the Roman soldiers. And why is he doing that? It's not just so that we understand Jesus Christ, this one who's born in Bethlehem, is the promised Savior. And Matthew's going to do a lot of talking about this fulfills in accordance with the Scriptures so that we get it. But he also wants us to get that God's in control. It's not Caesar Augustus and his decree. It's not Herod with his strong arm. It is God who's in control. And Caesar and Herod are but little pawns on the grand scheme of his saving plan. And every detail is being worked out to the place that he's born, to the fact that he's a refugee that lives in Africa, in Egypt, to the fact that these women would be weeping over their murdered sons, to the fact that he would be a despised man who hails from this little back town of Nazareth. God's in control. That's what this story is about. God is in control. He's protecting Christ. He's frustrating Herod's plan. He defeats Herod. And he sent his son to be the shepherd, the ruler, who would come as a savior to lay his life down. That's who we need to get our eyes on. That's what we need to understand, that we're not this God. And when you know this God, and you know that you're not in control, and you know that he is, doesn't take away the tension, but it brings to the tension of the hard things in life a settled peace, a foundation to know. He's in control, and this is hard, but he's good, and he can use hard things to bring good things into my life. Maybe that's where you're at right now. That's what you need to know. God's in control. Like the Magi, I think we need to seek after truth and seek after Christ. It frees us from a proud heart. You see, seeking after truth acknowledges that maybe I don't have all the answers. Maybe I'm not right. Maybe there's more to this. Maybe my conclusions about Christ just being a good man, a good teacher, maybe that's not enough. For two years, we can assume from the text here, they've been searching for Christ. And undoubtedly, they followed the star, but I, I, I'm pretty convinced that the reason they followed the star is they had studied the Hebrew scriptures and they knew the prophecy that Balaam had back in Numbers 24 when he talks about a star rising out of Jacob. 
And associated with that star was a king. He talks about a scepter. I believe they knew that scripture. And seeing that star, they followed it, connecting the dots. And so they asked the very question, where is this newborn king of the who? The Jews. Well, how in the world would they have known that? And so I say, maybe you know some things about God, like Jeff was talking about earlier. I encourage you to seek the scriptures. Open up to one of the gospel portraits of Christ. Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. They paint these beautiful pictures of Christ. I encourage you to hang around this place because right after the series on Missing Christmas, we're going to start a series called Christianity Explained. Just the foundational basics of the faith so that you understand that. Their search cost them time and money and they gave these precious gifts and their search was rewarded. They found the Christ child. And God says in Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And Jesus said in Matthew 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. And when you find him and understand who he is, your life will be changed. That's the third thing. Recognize that Jesus is like no other king. One of the things that that has hit me this year in studying for these messages is the obscurity of Christ's coming to this world. I understand Bethlehem. Bethlehem was David's town. That's the place where the greatest king was born. I get Bethlehem. I don't get the stable. I don't get the manger. I don't get the fact that there are more animals around Christ the night he was born than there were people. I don't get that. But I think I'm getting it better because I think what God is telling us is that this is a king like no other king. A king who was born of a virgin, the scriptures tell us. No other king, no other person ever been born of a virgin. Born not to be served like kings are, but to be served. He says, to give my life as a ransom for many. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, like no other king. A king who was born in a feeding trough. A king who draws his people to himself, not through brute force and threats, but through love and through mercy as he treats those who were treasonous in his kingdom, those who despised him, those who rejected him, those who spat in his face, those who nailed him to a cross. How does he treat him? With mercy and forgiveness. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, like no other king. And when Jesus came on this earth, he said, this is what I'm about, Luke chapter 4. He came preaching the good news, and he began with the poor. He talked about proclaiming freedom for the prisoners. Do you hear anybody in this political campaign talking like this? He gave sight to the blind, release to the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor like no other king. And he's the king for all people. When the angels come to the shepherds, remember what they said, we bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for who? Who? All people. Not for some. For everybody like no other king. And as we recognize who he is, then the reflex ought to be we humble ourselves and receive Christ 
as our king, as our Lord. We believe that he is who he claimed to be, the son of God, that he lived a perfect life, who died on the cross for our sins, that he was truly born to die, and that he rose again, and that we will find life in its fullness as we walk and follow him. And receiving him means we tell God what he already knows and we confess our sin and our rebellion. We place our faith in him alone. We ask him to change our hearts that we might be his followers. And then we follow him. We follow Christ and we do what he told us. He said, if you're going to follow me, you need to pick up something. What do you tell us to pick up? The what? The cross. What happened to Jesus on a cross? He died. When he said, pick up your cross, he means you got to die to yourself. See, the proud person is living for themselves. You want to follow me? You got to die to that. You got to die to yourself. So in dying to yourself, you will truly live and you'll live for me and you'll live for others and you'll be freed from the miserable, puny life of just building it around yourself. Follow Christ, remembering that the path to greatness is down. Remember, down is up in God's kingdom. It's completely inverted. When we talk about someone who has done something on the ladder that's gone to a place of success, what have they done on the ladder? They've gone up it or down it? We've climbed it. We climb the ladder of success. That's how it works in our day. Jesus says, my kingdom's not of this world. It just works completely different. The kingdom that I'm bringing in is a kingdom where you descend to greatness. You go down. And so we read this in Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Now listen to the descending nature of the incarnation, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Just down, down, down. Humbling ourselves before Christ every day breaks away the pride in our own hearts. There's this tragic story that comes out of Brazil. It goes back to uh, 1989, September 3rd. Farrag Airlines, flight 254, was at Maraba Airport, and it had a short 48-minute flight to the northeast to Belém. They're on the coast. Pilot and co-pilot are checking out the aircraft, setting up the computers, punching in the numbers, but the captain punched in the wrong numbers for the flight coordinates. What happened is, after a short time of taking off, it was just a 48-minute flight. He, he, in about 30, 35 minutes, was looking for the approach. Didn't see it, and he knew something was wrong. And so he did a 180. Did a 180. You ever been on a plane when the pilot does a 180? You think you'd notice that? You bet you'd notice that. 
And so there's talk back, back in the airplane, right? And they're asking the stewards and the stewards, what's going on? And they come to the cabin, what's going on here? And he lies. He says there's been a power outage at the Belim airport, and so we can't land there. And he tells the stewards and stewardesses to go serve some more drinks. An hour goes by after they're supposed to have landed. The ground is continuing to communicate. Where are you? What are you doing? Oh, I'm just five minutes away, he says. And after about an hour after they should have landed, the co-pilot figures it out. We punched in the wrong code. Captain didn't want to believe it. And he refused to ask for help. The next hour, as they're running out of gas, he's desperately looking and searching for a runway to land on. But he's over the Amazon jungle. There isn't one. Out of fuel, crashes the plane in the darkness of night in the thick Amazon jungle. The crew survives. 13 of the 48 passengers don't. This man never flew again. Pride will do that. Pride will take us down. Pride will cause us to miss Christmas. Is it possible that we're, we're flying in the wrong direction? And maybe this morning, you're just starting to get a clue of that. You know, maybe this isn't right. Maybe I've punched in the wrong numbers here. Maybe I thought, this is the way to go that's going to make me happy and bring peace. And maybe you're just getting enough dissonance in your life to go, maybe it's not. And before you continue on this path that could not only bring great ruin to your life, but to many others, I encourage you to look at Christ, the one who humbled himself for you and for me. And that you would not allow pride to keep you from bowing down and worshiping him. Three groups of people in Matthew 2. Did you notice them? All different responses. The religious leaders, what did they do? They knew where he was supposed to be born. And what did they do about it? They completely ignored him. Then there was Herod. He tried to kill him. And then there was the Magi. They bowed down and they worshiped him. May God give us grace to do the same today, this Christmas, and every day the rest of our life. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we bless you for your grace, your grace that would send your Son to die in our place, proud, thinking we could do it ourselves. Thank you for your grace that has reminded us that many times along the road that we can't. Bring your grace to people here that are living life without you. Help them understand it doesn't work. And Lord, we would pray that we wouldn't allow pride to sneak in, cause us to miss your son. That we would be people, Lord, like the Magi who fall on our faces and worship you. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. For those of you who are guests this morning, we'd like to invite you over to the welcome banner, introduce ourselves to you, share a little bit about the church. We have a little gift bag for you, and so right after this, we encourage you to just go over there. We'd love to meet you. 
And why don't we all stand? And I thought, let's close our service by singing together, O come, let us adore him. 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 Christ the Lord. Have a great day.